right. Well, hope you are well this morning. Uh, we are kicking off a new series called Love God and uh, Love People. And I'm really excited about this series. Uh, I'm going to spend the first four weeks talking about what it means to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength that we just read. And Perry's going to spend uh, two weeks after that speaking about the second commandment, which is actually to love others. Now, part of the reason I'm really excited about this particular uh, sermon series is probably six, seven years ago, I found myself in a season where I was a bit disillusioned. And I found myself in a spot where I was a part of the church, I was, I was pastoring at the time, but I just found myself not really knowing how to love God with everything I had. I, I found myself like not certain how to pursue God or what the focus of my faith was to be about. And so um, that's especially troubling if you're a pastor. And so I remember going to ask some people questions like, what does it look like for you to love God? And I was a little troubled because as I asked more and more people, they all said different things. And so some people talked about, hey, the way I think you love God is you take the word of God and you dive deep into that. And I think that's true. I've seen that from a lot of people, but I've also seen some people who know the Bible, who struggle with just being bitter or cynical or judgmental. And so you know what it's like that, that you can know the Word of God but not necessarily know the God of the Bible, amen? And so it's something else to love God. That is a part of it. But then some people I talk to would say, hey, you know what I think it is to love God? It's probably where you find like emotional healing from some of your pains or your past and then you help others to find healing from those things. And other people would say, hey, you know what I think it is? I think it's serving. I think you've been wired, you have spiritual gifts, so when you find the thrill of using those spiritual gifts, then you'll know what it's like to be in the love of God. Other people would talk about money. The Bible speaks more about money than any other subject. So some people would say, hey, I think when you give, that's what it's like to love God. And so I found myself in a space where everyone would talk differently about this, and I was sort of troubled. And then about six or seven years ago, the passage where we just read, where Jesus makes it super clear what it looks like to love God from Mark chapter 12, where he says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, and this is partly what he's quoting, is partly from the Shema prayer, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which I'll speak about in a sec, but it says this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, when Jesus is being asked this, He's really being baited. He's really being trapped. Because the Pharisees who are, who are talking about these commandments, uh, they would have actually been following 613 commandments from the Old Testament. So there are 365 commandments uh, from the Old Testament that were do not. So don't do this, don't commit this, don't engage in this. And if my math is correct, that's 248 that were positive. Things like do this, engage in this, commit to this. So the Pharisees were basically picking which ones they thought were most important to love God. And so they're trying to trap Jesus. And is, isn't it true all throughout human history, we tend to rank things? Like we rank our favorite restaurants. Uh, we rank our favorite places. Uh, we rank our favorite stores, our favorite movies. I know none of you would ever do this, but some people actually even rank their favorite pastors. 
You know, I was, uh, I was in the special friends ministry, which by the way, uh, the special friends ministry is one of the most amazing ministries we have at this church. Amen. Just what happens there. I just think Angie and them do such a great job. Can we just thank them? In fact, last week, Angie was mentioning that it was one of the highest attendance uh, for special friends ministry we've had. And uh, I wish you could talk, if you haven't talked to the parents who have a special needs kid, they, they, I mean, multiple people, I mean, one person looked at me with almost tears in her eyes and said, if it wasn't for a church like Brookwood, where I know my kid is going to be loved and taken care of, I would never know what it's like to worship with people. I would never know what it's like to be in a church where I could hear the word of God. So I think it's absolutely amazing what God is doing. Pray for that ministry. Pray for it. But you know, it's interesting. When I was in the special uh, friends ministry a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the special friends kids walked up to me and he looked at me and he said, you know what? I think I'm going to put you in the top five pastors right now on my list. <laughs> I said, great, I'll take it. And, uh, and right next to me was our amazing person, uh, Mike Kepler, who's the outreach pastor. And I looked at uh, this guy and I said, well, where do you rank Mike without hesitating? He looks at me and he goes, number 74. <laughs> so again, I know none of you would rank anybody. But sometimes we love ranking systems. And I found myself growing up where even when I was unaware, I tended to rank things that I thought were most important to love God. And the church can even fall prey to this. This is what I think it looks like to love God. This is what ministry I think you should be involved in. But Jesus wants to make it really clear. This was revolutionary for me when I started to study that Jesus actually meant something very specific. See, for years when it talks about loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I thought that was like a general or relative love. But Jesus actually means something very specific when he speaks about loving God with your heart. And he means something very specific when he talks about loving God with your soul. And he means something very specific when he talks about loving God with your mind. And he means something very specific when he talks about loving God with your strength. So if this is the single greatest commandment, it's our highest importance to make sure at church we understand what it means when Jesus is saying those things. In fact, the, the vision of this church is to love God and love people. And so we better make sure we really understand what it means. So what I want to do is help you experience what I think will be helpful for you. It was revolutionary for me years ago to really understand what it looks like to love God. And the first thing Jesus says is, you love me with your whole heart. In your programs, the memory verse for today is actually Proverbs uh, 4.23, which says this, above all else, guard your heart. Notice that phrase, above all else. Above all else, guard your heart for everything. Everything you do flows from it. Now, first, just let me answer this question. What is the heart? Because if we're going to unpack why this is so important and why you need to guard it and why you're going to love God with your heart, you have to define what the heart is. Now, in Hebrew culture, I want you to understand the heart is like the CPU of the entire body, the command center, if you will. It's the operating system that they believed drived you. The heart really relates to your commitment and your will. See, in Hebrew understanding, the core of a person's identity, the source of their thoughts, words, and actions actually came from the heart. To them, it was more than just an organ. It is the command center. The heart is where you make a decision for or against God. Remember, Jesus himself said that purity of heart is a precondition for the vision of God. Meaning if you're going to see God, your heart has to be awakened. 
Now, again, this is important because the most central part of your faith is this, that your heart has been awakened by God. That is the most central thing. That is the most important thing, that your heart first has been awakened by God. Now, the Pharisees believed that there was a different way in which you learned to love God, and they had almost this outside-in approach. And so what they believed is if you keep these 613 commands, that these outside commandments would start to lead to this inner transformation. But the problem is that didn't work great. In fact, to this day, if you've ever been to Israel, uh, I've been several times, and when you go, you'll see that there are Orthodox Jews, and you might even know some around the area, but a really Orthodox Jew might have something around their wrist. It's called teflon. It's a little leather box where they put scriptures from the Old Testament in this box. Some of them you'll see they actually have it around their head. In, in certain cultures, uh, in certain places, they actually have a mezuzah tube, which they would place on the door. It's almost like this little tube, and then they would place those commandments in that tube. And so every time they walked by, it was their way of saying, I'm going I'm to adhere to these commands. I'm going to follow these commands. Because they believed that if they kept these commands next to them all the time, if they, if they followed these, it would bring this inner transformation. But Jesus believed something else. Jesus believed that if you focus on the outside, what you're really doing is behavior modification. And he wasn't interested in that. Because you know what it's like to go to church even. I've been here before where you sing songs about the glory of God, but your heart is a million miles away. I know what it's like to open up the word of God and feel like my heart is a million miles away. Jesus was not interested in behavior modification. What he was looking for was something different, transformation. And so he believed that that happened from the inside out. Only the Spirit of God could awake you to those things. And so in essence, this is the most important thing that can happen is that God awakens you. And most folks, what I love about this church is most folks that I talk to, they talk about two years ago or four years ago or five years ago. I was in a bad spot, but it was God who rescued me. I don't hear a lot of, you know, I sort of worked my way to find things because there's a belief in this church that transformation really does come from the Spirit. And so when Jesus is speaking, again, I mentioned he's quoting the Shema prayer. This was a central prayer for Jewish people. In fact, today it's still prayed for morning prayers and night prayers. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all of your strength. Do you notice that one is missing there? Do you know what it is? The mind. And the reason that's missing is that in Mark 12, you see Jesus specifically mentions the mind. is because in Hebrew culture, the heart was a thinking organ. And so, in essence, when Jesus is speaking to a predominantly Greek and Roman culture to make sure they didn't miss this, he actually distinguishes that the heart and the mind are a part of this Hebrew culture, they would have understood that. So in order to make sure he's covering the meaning of the Hebrew heart, we need to both understand it is the heart and mind for a Greek and English audience. Now, one of the questions that I used to despise people asking me was this question, and you might have asked it this week, uh, how's your heart? Because one of the reasons I never enjoyed that question is I never really understood how to answer that. Like when people say, how is your heart? How do you answer that? But I really do believe now there is a way, a diagnostic tool, if you will, if you want to know right now where you sit, how your heart is doing. I think the way that you can trace that is retrace your words this last week. Like, were your words seasoned with salt? 
Did you have negative self-talk? Did you believe the best in other people? Did you encourage other people? Did you find ways to spur one another on towards love and good deeds? Because the Bible says that what actually comes from your mouth originates from your heart. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from what? Their heart. And these defile them. So honestly, as you sit here, how is your heart this morning? In fact, the the question that I want to ask is actually in your outline, but is your heart devoted this morning? Is your heart where you sit really devoted to God? Because as you sit here, your heart can be in a couple different places. The first place I believe your heart can be, bless you, uh, is this place. I believe it can be dead. In fact, Ezekiel 36 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Notice this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So as we see here, according to Ezekiel 36, it is God who transforms us. It is God who awakens us. It is him who takes a heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. But according to Ezekiel 36, and this is important, I believe, that the systemic issue in culture and society is not with education, it's not reform, it's not with policies or politics, it's not with all the leaders that we have, it's actually the fact that the human heart is twisted and bent towards sin. The problem, according to Ezekiel 36, is this. The human heart, without the intervention of the Spirit of God, is dead towards the things of God. And so, according to Ezekiel 36, this is important because, you know, God is not trying to make mean people nice. He's not trying to make bad people good. He's trying to take dead people and make them alive to the things of God. He's trying to take hearts that were once desiring other things and wake them up to the greatest redemptive story in history, which is the story of Jesus. And so in essence, that's what God is trying to do. So how is your heart this morning? In fact, if it's dead, I just want to encourage you. The great news about this is that God can transform your heart in a moment. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And so if that's you and you're in a spot where you're just dead to the things of God, cry out. He'll transform you. But maybe for you, your heart's not dead. Maybe your heart is actually distracted. You know, when you speak about the parable of the soils, it's interesting. Jesus speaks about different hearts and where they are. And so he talks about a heart that's distracted or divided. Because remember what he says? The thorns, the worries of this world come in and distract us. And so we awaken to God, but sometimes we sit in a room And our minds are in a million different places. And so we're thinking about things going on in life or things that are happening or things that we can be chasing after. And the Bible says that's like a distracted heart. In the parable of the soils, it also mentions a heart that has shallow roots. Remember what it says is that the word of God can't go deep. So what happens is some people, they awaken to the love of God. You experience the love of God. And then after a while, you just get busy. Things happen, you stop engaging in church, you stop making the presence of God a priority, and then after a while, your heart just becomes dry. And that's easy to happen. We've all been at places like this, but there's another invitation, and many of you know what it's like right now. You're living out of this heart. Your heart is devoted. 
And when your heart's devoted, you just feel the presence of God in ways that you never really thought possible. In fact, I love what 1 Kings 8 says. It says, let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statues and keep his commandments as at this day. Is your heart devoted this morning? I love what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. In fact, what's interesting is most people, when they quote Jeremiah 29, 11, they only, they only really share the first part of this verse, but this verse is actually a prerequisite, verse 11, to have verse 12 and 13 be a part of it. This is what it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But listen to verse 12 that is connected to verse 11. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so this is an invitation that what God is after, the most important thing in our life, is that our hearts have been transformed. Our hearts have been awakened by God. Now, years ago, my wife and I were actually visiting some family, and so we decided on a Sunday morning we were going to visit this church, this small church, maybe 100 people or so. And so we were, we were in the service, and during that service, there was a choir that was actually up there singing. And so as soon as the choir was done, there was one lady that was just sort of stumbling around up there. And uh, in my family, my, both my grandparents had dementia. And so it looked like she was literally, like, almost forgetting where she was. And so I, I looked at my wife. I said, do you see this? And my wife says, yeah, yeah, you need to go do something. I said, why me? You go. She goes, no, no, you go. And so I get up, and I start walking towards this lady, and I'm almost towards the front, right where the, the stage is, and all of a sudden, it's like she snaps out of it, she grabs the microphone, and she says, hey, today I'm going to sing a special. And I'm like, what am I going to say? Hey, hey, just wanted to make sure you, you weren't losing your mind. Have a great day. You know, you can't do this, so it's just this awkward moment. I turn around, I, I get back into the middle of the seat, and my wife looks at me, and she's like, at least that wasn't awkward. I'm like, thanks for that, babe. But you know, I've never forgotten that moment, not because of that awkward interaction. Because I'll never forget, after this woman grabbed this mic, she talked about the fact that she was in her late 70s, early 80s, I can't remember exactly what it was, but she says, I've been following Jesus for over 60 years. And I'm telling you, you ever get around someone that's like never recovered from their salvation? I think the more you become familiar with God, probably the further you are from him. Three times in the book of Acts, Paul just speaks about his Damascus Road experience because I'm convinced he never got off the Damascus Road. That moment where he beheld grace was just something so transformative. And I'm watching this woman and she's speaking like the first day I believe she experienced God. She's speaking about the wonder of it all. And she says this phrase, she says, I've been following God for 60 plus years and I've never gotten over the wonder of it all. I'm in this small church in the middle of nowhere trying to recover from my awkward plunder and then all of a sudden I just say to the Spirit of God, would you give me a heart like that? God, if you let me live 30, 40, 50, 60 years, I pray that at the end of my life I would be able to say following you is still the wonder of it all. I think the one of the most tragic things is sometimes as we get older, we can, we can justify knowledge for a sacrifice of passion. 
So we tend to write those things off as youth, but when you get around people like the Apostle Paul and other people, when you see them, it's like they, they had a knowledge, but they never lost the wonder of it all. And I wonder if this morning, if you're anything like me, there are times in my faith where I can just take for granted the goodness of God. I'm more amazed by the news headlines or the, the new gadget or the new toy than I am the cross and the resurrection and the spiritual life that God gives. It's funny, this, this uh, last few days, I've had this reoccurring dream and I didn't even really know what it was. And it was just this picture in my mind. I woke up for the last four days and it's a little odd because uh, in this dream, my wife and I were dating and then we, we took a break and, and in this dream, she chose someone else. And so I started to pursue her in this dream. I was trying to do everything I could. And I never actually, uh, in this dream, figure out if I won her or not. And so I would wake up each morning kind of sad. And then I'd roll over and I'd see my wife. And I just remember the first time it happened, I'm like, I won. <laughs> and then one morning, I probably shouldn't tell you this, you'll judge me. Um, the second morning, like, I was kind of same thing. Like, what happened? And then, like, literally I saw her and I just looked at myself. I didn't look at myself because I was in the bed. But I said to myself, you're the man. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have told you that. Don't judge. All right. But it's funny. Sometimes in the busyness of life, you end up taking things for granted, don't you? You don't mean to. Sometimes in the busyness of life, we end up taking things. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen? Every good and perfect gift. Your house, your car, the blessings you have. But sometimes in life, you just end up taking things for granted. And I'm sitting there that morning, and all of a sudden, it's like there's a joy that I didn't have before that moment. And then I'm sitting down this morning. I'm going, God, why do you keep giving me this dream? And, and I just felt like God said to me, you know what? Don't just be amazed by that dream. Be amazed at the fact that the King of kings and Lord of the lords chooses you. Like he's chosen me. And he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing the Bible says. He's chosen me. He's chosen you and he calls you sons and daughters. He's chosen you and he calls you a co-heir. Not a little kid, a co-heir in the kingdom of God. He has bestowed his grace, his mercy, his power on you. And so can I just say this to you this morning? If your heart is in a dry or disconnected, or you're just in one of those ruts that we all get in, can I just say that resurrection is not a one-time deal we celebrated last week? That we serve a God who is in the resurrection business and what he wants to do. If he can resurrect the grave, what he can also do is resurrect a dry and disconnected heart. Amen? And so I believe that's what he wants to do because he's an amazing God. So can I just encourage you to get to that place where you ask God, even if you're in a great spot, ask God to, to increase your devotion to him because it's incredibly important that you live out of this heart. And that like that woman, you can say, thank you, God, for the wonder of it all. Now, how do you get to this place? Even though God awakens us, this is the practical part that I want to help you in this talk, is even though God awakens our hearts, how do we, what is our part to play in this part of our heart. Listen to what Proverbs 4.23 says again. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So I believe that, that in your outline you'll see this, that our job is, is to learn how to cultivate and protect our hearts. To protect and cultivate our hearts. And so when you talk about guarding your heart, what you're really getting to is this, that you learn to cultivate your heart and protect your heart. 
If someone gets married, they would always, deep down, there are two things that they're trying to do to protect that covenant commitment. One is to simply protect that covenant commitment by being faithful, but the other is to cultivate, to grow, to nurture your relationship. That's why people will say phrases like, as old as we get, we never stop dating. And so if you're going to guard your heart, what the Bible wants us to understand is that you cultivate your heart, you grow your heart from God, you start to learn how to listen and pray and spend time with God, but you also protect your heart. See, the the purpose of a garden is not the absence of weeds, it's the flourishing of life. And for years, I was mistaken because I thought the purpose of the Christian faith is the absence of sin, but it's actually the flourishing of the Spirit of God in our life. And so that is what God is wanting to do. He is wanting your heart to awaken to him in ways it never has before. And so let me just give you something really, really practical as you seek to cultivate and protect your heart that has been transformative for me. In fact, if you were to sit down with with me or my wife and say, hey, how do you keep your heart alive? I would say these three things have transformed me more than almost anything else I've done. There are other things, but these three things are essential in my life to make sure that I'm guarding so that I can cultivate and protect my heart. And here's the first thing. It's actually your schedule. If you're going to cultivate and protect your heart, it starts with your schedule. Listen to what it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Notice this, meditate. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Notice that that phrase, meditate. See, biblical meditation, as the Hebrew culture understood it, is way different than how the Western culture understands meditation or the Eastern culture. Because if you talk about meditation in Western culture, like where we are, we think about intellect. I need to meditate to get a problem or to get an answer so I can solve a problem. In Eastern culture, if you throw the word meditation around, they'll think you're talking about emptying yourself of certain things. It's really about emptying. Biblical meditation, when when it's spoken about in Joshua, is that you fill your mind. You don't empty or get intellect. You fill your mind with the Word of God. You fill yourself up with this particular spot so that you can live the kind of life that God wants you to. And for years, I used to ask people this question. When they would talk about loving God with their heart or, or finding time for God, I used to ask this question, like, are you a morning person or are you a night person? But notice that God doesn't ask Joshua, hey, as you're getting ready to lead the Israelites, are you a morning person or are you a night person? He says, here's the deal. If you want your heart to awaken, and notice what he says again in verse 8, meditate day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written. Only then, only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And so the schedule that we have really does reveal our priorities. Like, let's just say, I know uh, my friend Mark sits over there. He's got a gym on Woodruff Road. Imagine I I go to Mark's gym and I say, hey, you know what? I'm really looking to to get fit. I'm really looking to get the beach body ready. And he says to me, hey, here's what we're going to do. 7 a.m., we're going to be there. 30 minutes is what I need from you. Five, Five days out of the week, five days a week, 30 minutes, be there. And I'm like, hey, Mark, I'm actually not a morning person. 
It's like, all right, man, no big deal. I know you're not a morning person. Um, how about 7 p.m.? Well, actually, Mark, I wanted to speak to you about that. Uh, not a morning person, but after the whole week and after the day, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. So really not looking to do nights either. And imagine him just looking at me and going, hey, all right, let's just speak about your diet. You know what? Like, we got to talk about the carbs and the sugars. I'm like, hey, Mark, about that. Let me stop you right there. I've given up a whole lot to follow Jesus. I'm not certain I want to give up the carbs yet, all right? <laughs> at some point, Mark's going to look at me and go, hey, talk to me when you're ready. And it's not rude, it's just honest. And I say this because for years I would tell God, oh, I want more of you. And one day in, in kindness, God says, do you really? Because what I would say is, God, I do want all of you, but I just don't want to wake up in the morning. I don't want you to interrupt me. Please don't interrupt me in the middle of the night and give me a dream or speak to me because I'm not great with that when I don't get my seven or eight hours of sleep. So God, I want you, but I want you with these conditions. And it's not actually the knife of a thief, it's the knife of a surgeon because God's kind enough to go, there is really no secret ingredient in the kingdom of God. What I mean by that is this, there are no elites and no all-stars. There are only those who are available and those who are not. Like, there is nothing that God won't do in your life. He will grow your faith. He will get your heart on fire in ways you never imagined. All he needs you to do is prioritize his presence. That's it. God is the one that transforms us, but we have a part to play in our schedule. That's the first thing that has been transformative to me. I still do a lot of things I did, but I start to go, maybe God was up to something when he talked about meditating and filling our minds with positive thoughts because once that happens, you find that the, the fire of God starts to take you deeper. So that was the first thing for me. The second is this. If you're going to cultivate and protect your heart, you have to be aware of idols that slowly creep into your life. Idols that creep into your life. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? I think this could be one of the richest verses in all the Bible. Listen to this. For we are the temple of the living God. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them, walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. It's just fascinating and breathtaking when you think about the Old Testament. We celebrated last week Resurrection Sunday for years. God was confined to the temple, limited to this place where people would make sacrifices. People in the Old Testament could not have fathomed that the temple of God would one day become you and I. And then all of a sudden, right here when we see this verse, what we read about in Corinthians is that goes, what agreement is there between the temple of God, the very presence of God, and idols? Things that compete for the affection of God. And idols is kind of a churchy word sometimes. We don't always understand what that means. But I love what one writer, Tim Keller, says. He says an idol is really when you make a good thing an ultimate thing. Idols aren't always these wicked, evil things. Your kids can be an idol. Your job can be an idol. Success can be an idol. Power can be an idol. Love can be an idol. A relationship can be an idol. And so what happens is sometimes is that we have this good thing and it becomes the ultimate thing. And, and how do you really know what the ultimate thing is? It's the thing that you think about. It's the thing that's on your mind. In fact, I was just reading uh, in, my, in my time with God yesterday and I came across this. I just love this. 
It's about uh, the king Azariah. This is not on the screen or in your notes because I just added this. But I was reading this yesterday and it stuck out to me. It's about Azariah when he becomes the king and he is one of the good kings. And listen to what it says in 2 Kings 15 verse 3. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his father had done. Except, some versions say but, but here it says except he did not destroy the pagan shrines and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. It hit me. How do you know what your idol is? How do you know if there's something that's competing for your heart? Verse 4 says, except. It's that thing that you will give God. I will give you everything except this thing. And I've done this. I didn't talk about it with God, but for years, I did not believe I could give God control of my future. So I wouldn't say this, but deep down I knew there was an idol that was competing for the affection of God. And so in my mind it was things like, God, I will give you everything except this. So what is that thing that if you're not careful can creep in there? We all have those things that can sort of walk in there. And so is your accept thing your future, your pain? I know people for years who have carried a burden in their hearts, bitterness and unforgiveness and they don't say this necessarily in these words, but it is, God, I will give you everything except this. And what happens is after a while, if you have an idol, something that you hold on, something that you say, God, I'll give you everything but this, then your heart can't be fully devoted to God because there's something else that you are serving. There's something else that is driving you. And so what the freedom of God wants to do is Release that thing so that you can experience greater life. Let me just say this phrase that just came to my mind. You know, God never calls you to leave something behind unless he calls you to something better. Like he's not calling you to let go on an idol. For years I missed this sitting in a church service. It's just God wants you to let go of these things. No, he wants, you to, call, he wants to call you to something better, and that better thing is his presence. That's why you see people throughout the world who have every luxury, and they're going, there's just something missing. Because the idols cannot satisfy. If your heart's going to flourish, if you are going to protect and cultivate your heart, you've got to deal with idols. The third thing is this, negativity. If your heart is going to come alive, you have to watch the negativity that comes into your heart and your mind and your soul every day. Every day. In fact, you know what's interesting is when I was in middle school, high school, the way that we got news, do you remember this, was the newspaper. I mean, that was it. I remember the, 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 the newspaper delivery guy would throw it on the porch. You get the newspaper. Now, when you want to read the news, you just go to the, the, the news station. You go online. You go on your phone. And here's the problem with that. Growing up, all you would really hear about is the local news. And so what you'd hear about is what was happening in Greenville or Simpsonville or other areas, the good, but then you'd also hear about the negative. You hear about obituaries or the painful things. But now when you get on the news, you hear about every tragedy in every place from Indiana to Wisconsin to, to the horrors of this world. And so your heart is constantly being filled with these negative stories. And I don't think the human heart is designed to carry the weight of all that. You ever just like, and I'm not one of those guys that's always like, oh, you can't watch this. But you ever just watch what's on TV? There's always a weight to it. And so you get done watching this show and there's just a heaviness because it's negativity. And after a while, that's why I think in Proverbs it says, above all else, guard your heart. 
watch what you're letting get in there because there's so much negativity. You know, one of the things that was interesting is just about a, probably a year and a half ago, I found myself, I hadn't done anything. You ever get to this place? I had only been up for an hour and it's like my heart was anxious. And I'm getting a cup of coffee. I'm like, I haven't talked to anyone. I haven't done anything. Why is there an anxiety in my heart? And then it hit me. Do you know what my morning ritual was? Every morning I'd wake up, I'd grab my phone, and I'd read the news reports for 30 minutes. And after a while, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to me. said, maybe you should watch what you take in every morning. And it started to transform everything. Can I just say this? I have never heard in my life someone go, you know what? I spent two hours, two hours coming through Facebook and my soul is enriched, encouraged, and believes the best (laughs) in humanity. Never heard anybody say that. And yet, and this is important to say, what I am not advocating, I believe Christians should be involved in politics. I believe Christians should influence culture. But what I'm saying is this, instead of burying our heads in news reports, bury your heads in the Word of God. Instead of having politicians or Democrats or Republicans or leaders or celebrities tell you the storyline of the future, get the storyline from God first and foremost. I'm not telling you not to be involved in those things. I'm just saying that what God wants to do is when you know the storyline of the Bible, you don't have to be afraid. So you can stand in the face of adversity and still be a non-anxious presence. You can have the hope of God and the life of God. And negativity will start to corrode your life. So can I just ask, how is your heart this morning? What are you filling your mind with? And so do those things, watch those reports, be involved, but make sure you spend time making sure your heart is fixed on the right things, the presence of God. Hey, as we get ready to close, there are three questions that are on your programs. These are just things that I'm really encouraging you as you go to lunch, before you go to sleep tonight, maybe in your small groups, to sit down and just unpack what this looks like. Because I believe God wants you to guard your heart. I want, he wants you to protect your heart and cultivate it. So here's three questions. Does your schedule reflect God as your first priority? And you don't need to answer this. It's between you and God. But, but spend time thinking about, is that true? And how can you add some new rhythms into your daily schedule? It doesn't have to be complex. It could be, hey, I'm going to turn off the TV for 20 minutes at night, and I'm going to spend some time there. Number two, what is competing for your heart besides Jesus? Is there anything that as we're speaking, the Spirit of God in His kindness is going, yeah, yeah, that's an idol. And it's not Him calling you to let go of something because He's unkind. He's going, hey, there's more life. That thing's cutting you off from it. Let it go. Three, is there someone or something you need to create healthy distance from to increase your positivity? What might the Spirit of God be calling you to do to draw deeper? I believe the first and most important thing as we kick off this series is that your heart has been transformed. God alone does that. The Spirit does that. But you and I have a job to cultivate and protect our heart. So spend time asking that. As we close, what I'm going to ask is our care volunteers to come forward if you need healing. And there's something that you would like them to pray over. They would love to anoint you with oil. Even if you're in a great space right now, your heart's on fire, but you just want someone to pray over you, they would be honored to do that. If there's a need that you have, if there's a request that you have, if something came to mind, I'd encourage you, don't miss the opportunity to let the Holy Spirit settle some things in you. So if we can be of service praying, we'd love to do that. Let me just close out our time together. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you. 
that you are the one who awakens our heart. You take a heart of stone and you make it a heart of flesh. God, I thank you for the people of Brookwood. I thank you that in my short time I have begun to see people who have devoted hearts, hearts of, of flesh, hearts that are awakened to you, God. And it's just our desire to say to you this morning, we want more. I pray that like that woman years ago in that small church, that you would fill us with the wonder of it all, that you would take our hearts and cause them to rejoice and celebrate your goodness, your mercy, and grace. I pray blessings over everybody in this room. I pray, Spirit of God, you would make it clear what our next steps are as we end our time together. We thank you. We thank you, God, that you love us enough to give your son Jesus on the cross for us. So I just pray blessings, favor over everybody in this room. We thank you in the mighty, wonderful, amazing name of Jesus. Everyone agreed and said amen. Well, hey, you guys are dismissed. Make sure you grab or stack your chairs on the way out. Blessings to you. We'll see you next week as we talk on loving God with your soul. Hey, thank you so much for joining us in our online campus today. We're so grateful that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, you can click Let's Connect on our website or in the Brookwood Church app to request information or to let us know more about you. We also want to invite you to check out the website or the app where you'll find opportunities to grow your faith, give, serve, and even ask us to be in prayer for you. Now, if you'd like to support Brookwood Ministries along with our local and global ministry partners, you can donate anytime through our app, website, or by mail. We're thankful that you joined us today in our online campus, and we can't wait to gather again together. So thank you so much for being with us. We remember to love God and love people each day, and we look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. God bless, and we'll see you soon.